Okay, so we'll start with, we'll start the year with Mark Twain, okay? He says, 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than by the ones you did do. So throw off the bowline, sail away from the safe harbor, catch the trade winds in your sails, explore, dream, discover. He also might have said, and live the moment fully, you know? It's like, it's not what we don't do, what we do do so much as as one, one of the great Buddhist teachers said, the whole purpose to practice is to live the life fully, to not like race to the finish line. So I'm curious, how many of you really did make New Year's aspirations? I know we did some of that here a few weeks ago. How many of you actually was part of your process? Keep your hands up, just I'm really curious about this. Okay, so hands down. Now, how many of you made something in the realm of being kinder and less judgmental? Can I see? Yeah. Me too. Um, How many of you had to do with self-care, really taking better care? Great. How many of you about more the balance of things in your life so there's more space for what mattered, that kind of thing? Yeah, me too. So it's true, a lot, of, a lot of people will do the, you know, going on a certain diet or organizing the files or cleaning the gerbil cage or, you know, whatever it is that we haven't been doing. But there is really something powerful, and it doesn't have to happen just on New Year's, at very consciously recognizing what matters to us and keeping it right in the forefront. It's almost like um, a setting the compass of the heart. And the more we're aware of what matters, the more truly it manifests. And that's just not some new agey jargon. Truly what we care about when it's conscious really informs how we live our life. So there's a, a predicament that everyone on a spiritual path understands on some level, which is we always forget you know, we have a sense of what's really important to us and we always get caught up in our distractions and we always forget. So, right at the heart of the path is really, how do we remember more? And that's why tonight we're doing the refuge ceremony. So, the theme tonight, which of course I'm going to be deepening on my day along with you, is really what the Buddhists call the three, the triple gem, or the three refuges, or the three ways of paying attention, and they're completely related, that help us remember what matters. And there's a predicament we have, which really, I think just the language human being, that we are beings, we are awareness, heart, spirit, living through this human form, and that we intuit that. It's just none of us would be here if we didn't intuit this, this vast mystery of beingness that's what we are and really had a yearning to live from that wholeness and that purity and that mystery. And we each know how daily, daily, we get small-minded. You know, we just get caught in... Um, kind of chasing after trying to get more comfortable or get more secure or prove something. We forget. It's, um, and again, I think it was Mark Twain said that we find ourselves fishing only to realize it wasn't fish we were after. You know? But we spent our whole life doing that. That's the way he put it. So the path is 
really a spiritual path is to come back home to that beingness, some quality of presence that includes all this human conditioning with a lot of humor and tenderness and interest but that our sense of who we are is not so small. It's like the metaphor of these lamps that, that radiate a lot of light and we think we're the lamp and forget the light that we're radiating and yet if you put a bunch of lamps in a room and you see the light you can't sense the difference like that's your light and that's my light it's just illumination but we get real hooked on the particulars of the lamp and forget the, the spirit so we practice these refuges these trainings in paying attention as a way to reconnect with that, that spirit, that beauty that's here. And the three of them, I'm going to do them in a different order than they're traditionally listed, but it's called Refuge in the Buddha, in Dharma, in Sangha. And we'll start tonight, and with each one I'll, I'll talk about it a bit, and then we'll do a reflection so you really can sense from your inside out what it means to you to take refuge. So it's not some Buddhist religious thing because you really find these, these are kind of archetypal pathways for waking up. You find them in spiritual paths that are around the globe. So refuge in the Dharma. Dharma means path or truth. And in the most basic way it means taking refuge in how things are. Like really honestly recognizing what's happening here and opening to it. So taking refuge in the Dharma takes the courage of real honesty. It's this willingness not to hide, not to defend ourselves against what reality is, but really with an undefended heart to open to the moments. So that'll be our first reflection. Taking refuge in the Sangha. Sangha means the community of spiritual beings. And it's really, in a deep way, meaning taking refuge in love. Okay? The third refuge, refuge in the Buddha, could be the historical Buddha or any, any being that expresses the awareness of an awakening being. But essentially, in a deep way, taking refuge in the Buddha means taking refuge in your own awakened heart and mind. So those are three refuges. And... I always like to begin uh, an exploration of these kind of refuges that wake us up with the notion of false refuge. And I try to um, do that often with myself because it's only when we recognize how we habitually take false refuge, keep ourselves in trance, keep oppressing ourselves, keep causing ourselves suffering, that we actually turn towards true refuge. So what is false refuge? Really, it's the quick ways we try to make ourselves feel better. And it's based on some illusion that if only I do this, I'll feel better. And sometimes we temporarily do feel better, but not in a deep way. False refuges never help us come home to the love and the awareness and the truth that really frees us. They're just temporary fixes. So the formula with false refuge is a quality if only. If only I do such and such, then I'll be happy. And I'll just name a few. And I think one of the big ones with false refuge is if only I can figure something out. 
You know, if only it's the mental control tower. If only I work this out of my mind. If only I solve this problem. And as I've said here a lot, we um, we spend a lot of time with this notion that we're trying to figure something out. Like if you just pause, you can find out that the mind is in some way thinking it's trying to figure something out. It's trying to plan something, anticipate, fix, worry, prevent. You know, Einstein said, only two things are infinite. The universe and human stupidity. (laughs) And I'm not sure about the former. So, if anything, there's this sense of, um, you know, one of my students described it that he was always trying to outwit things and just realize that the big ones, you know, aging, sickness and death, we can't. And so there needs to be something deeper than our mental, conceptual mind figuring things out to really make peace and find refuge. Um, having said that, sometimes our minds do work and there's a story some of you might remember. I got one New Year's and because I have poodles, I'm particularly fond of it, this wealthy guy goes on a safari to Africa and he takes his poodle and for company. And one day the poodle starts chasing some butterflies, gets totally lost, and trying to find his way back, saw a leopard rapidly heading his way. The poodle thought to himself, uh-oh. <laughs> Luckily the poodle noticed some bones on the ground close by and immediately turned his back to the approaching cat and started to chew on them. Just as the leopard was about to pounce, the poodle called out, Boy, that was one delicious leopard, but I'm still hungry. I wonder if there's another one around. (laughs) Upon hearing this, the leopard halted his attack in mid-stride, a look of abject terror on his face. He crawled off into some nearby trees, thinking, That was a close call. That creature nearly got me. Meanwhile, the monkey had been watching this whole scene from high in a nearby tree called out to the leopard promising some valuable information in return for the leopard's protection. The leopard agreed to the deal and of course was furious to learn they had just been made a fool of. The leopard now with the monkey in his back took off to find the cat and the conniving canine. Once again the poodle saw the leopard, this time with a monkey in his back approaching. The poodle quickly put two and two together while realizing he wouldn't have time to escape. So he sat down with his back to his attackers pretending he hadn't seen them. And just when they got close enough to hear, he exclaimed, Where is that damn monkey? I sent him off an hour ago to bring me another leopard. (laughs) So cleverness and figuring things out on one level really can work, but that's why it's a false refuge. And it doesn't mean we're supposed to stop figuring things out. It means that in the face of what really is challenging in the face of the inevitable losses in our life, in the face of really deep pain or fear, it's not going to take us, it's not going to carry us, it's not going to serve us. So that's one if only. Another if only that many people just assume as, you know, we, we know about it but we still do it, is, you know, if only this possession, this house, this trip, this acquiring things. I know the Dalai Lama once described when he was teaching he had to drive every day back to the center by passing this this shopping center that had one of those high-tech stores. 
I don't know, maybe it was Radio Shack or just something with a lot of computers and technology. So he convinced uh, the driver to stop and let him go in and look around. And he came out and said something like he wanted things he didn't even need. You know, it's like everything, it's a sense of, oh, that'll, that'll feel good, that'll feel good. And of course, Rita Rutner puts it this way. She says something like, you know, after a really bad breakup, I like to go shopping. I don't know, it just kind of makes me feel better. Sometimes I even break up on purpose just to go shopping, you know. (laughs) So if only, if only I had something else, if only we stay busy, if only I get one more thing done, I check one more thing off the list, then we hold on to pleasantness like food or drugs or whatever to, you know, if only one more hit, one more bowl of Ben and Jerry's or, you know, They say in India, sleep is a poor man's nirvana. You know that, if only the nap, you know. And then there's the if onlys about improving ourselves, you know, if only I change, if only I'm a better person in some way. You know, one story of a guy goes to a bookstore and asks the clerk where the section on self-improvement was her response, now if I told you that, it would defeat the whole purpose, you know. (laughs) So there's this sense of, and we're hooked on it, most of us. We have an idea of ourself, and this is one of the deepest if-onlys, and we have a sense, if only I got that degree, or if only I had a more, you know, witty, outgoing personality, I wouldn't be so boring, or if only I lost weight or if only whatever, then my life would work out. Now, I'll mention one other with only, if only, that feels really important, which is that one of our false refuges is making war, that we, we kind of blame others and we figure, if only we could vanquish our enemy, really, really do them in, you know. If only we get rid of all the terrorists in the world, then the world would be fine. Or if only um, we could change our partner's habits, you know, but there's a blaming and an if only something out there would change that we get hooked on to. So just take a moment, if you will. Let's just do a brief reflection before we take refuge, true refuge, just with honesty and if you can with kind of a light quality because it's absolutely universal. We all, we all turn to false refuges. And you might sense, it, it, just to notice, is it food, you know, that you just kind of leave the present moment for, buying things? Is your false refuge proving yourself to others? Is it trying to feel good about yourself or being a, a do-gooder? Is it blaming? Is there a lot of complaining or blaming? Again, not to judge. Just to notice how in the course of a day the attention gets co-opted. Is it to try to look good? When you're caught in one of your false refuges, 
whether it's staying really busy or being, and being online all the time or being defensive or whatever it is, what's the quality of your body and your heart? How much remembrance of beingness, of presence, of love? The pain of false refuges for most people is that they obscure the love, the awareness. Now, if this is another question for you, if you just imagine that you only had a few minutes to live, you're not in great pain, you're awake, you're alert, but you just have a few minutes to live. And instead of this if only mind, what would matter? Instead of if only I could prove myself to this person or buy that possession or get busy or have more food, what, what would be, if you had a few minutes to live, where would you want to place your attention? Would it be in being aware, like really aware? Would it be remembering love? What would matter to you? Oliver Wendell Holmes says, Many people die with their music still in them. Why is this so? Too often it is because they are always getting ready to live. And then before they know it, time runs out. What do you want to do, Mary Oliver writes, with this one wild and precious life? This one. When we slow down and get sincere, there's a natural turning away from false refuge. So you can open your eyes. So we begin to explore what it means to take true refuge. And uh, one of the things I did as a kind of little helper in this new year is I started wearing a new mullah, which is beads that are always having to do with remembering. And this mullah, that I am wearing it has got skulls, little skulls, carved skulls. You can't quite tell. I mean, if you just look at it, it looks like a kind of a pretty little mullah. But close up, it's still pretty, but it's human skulls on it. And, <laughs> and it's, but it doesn't feel at all morbid. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's so cool. And you can, anybody can get them. I can tell you how if you're interested. You're welcome to come and admire mine. <laughs> um, so it is a possession. And I did feel some grasping, but it, it, there was a... <laughs> very, very inexpensive possession. But um, it's like a, a reminder for taking refuge because what I do with it is that that little reflection we just did, which feels like such truth. Like if I'm caught in any sort of a trance, if I just say, okay, there's just a few minutes of life, because we never know how long we have. And someday it really will be just a few moments. And if we live as if we're remembering that this is fleeting, then our choices actually go much deeper to that place of choosing awareness and love. 
So this mala reminds me, you know, we don't know, it's a mystery what's, what we have on this planet and what really matters. So I'm not necessarily suggesting the mala as much as the, the inquiry to turn you towards true refuge. Um, not to beat yourself up for false refuge, every one of us has our ways of running away. But just this invitation in this brief life to let the moments matter to remember the presence and the heart that's here and to live from that with each other. So the first refuge, refuge in the Dharma, is, as I mentioned, this practice of... it's courageous, of paying attention to exactly what's here. And I love the um, line from Zen Master Ryokan. He says, if you want to know the Buddhist law, drift east, drift west, come and go, entrusting yourself to the waves. So there's a, an understanding when we take refuge in the Dharma of an absolute recognizing and letting go into the waves of the present moment, really opening to it. And that doesn't mean that we don't then respond to our life with intelligence, actively, working for justice, working for peace, working for the environment, but it comes from a deep, contactful, accepting, open presence. It arises out of that. So the trick in taking refuge in the Dharma is learning to stay. That, that when things get edgy or restless or uncomfortable, and that happens a lot, we, if you, I can feel in myself, I'm more and more aware of restlessness. It's not an overt one, but it's just this kind of a leaning forward into the next thing. And to really arrive here fully and just hang out with a kind of restless feeling or an anxious feeling or a scared feeling in a more full-blown way is not so easy. So the practice, I think Ajahn Sumedho, the American uh, monk who teaches in Great Britain, says it's like this. In some way, the questions are, what's happening right here and can I be with this? Can we just say, it's like this, and then consent in that moment? So I'll share with you a, a taking refuge in the Dharma story that's very, very fresh for me because over the holidays, um, I had, and I shared this with those that came to the New Year's retreat, I actually had two people within a few hours of each other tell me how disappointed they were in me and upset they were with me. Within a few hours. I mean, the timing was like really bad. So anyway, um, with one of them we kind of talked it through. But uh, with another one, I, I felt a little bit, well, I did the right thing in the sense of I did the mirroring and I said, you know, I, I get that... Um, you know, that you feel like I've really hurt you and you feel really upset. You know, I mirrored properly, but energetically, energetically what was going on is um, this is, you know, really bad timing. I don't want to deal with this. Go deal with this yourself, you know, later. That was my energetic, you know, leave me alone. But then, of course, um, there's no freedom in living, carrying around that kind of blaming armor like, you know, how how unfair and how oversensitive or whatever I was it didn't sit well so I was back here in town I often will go to the river but even if I don't go to the river just open my senses to sounds and to sensations and just in that openness invite 
what's going on to play through. And just as we talk about here, the question, so what's really happening? What's really, really going on in here? And I could sense that in that defendedness, underneath that was this um, experience of, oh, I'm a bad person and I don't want to feel that. And I'm angry at you for making me feel like I'm a bad person. And that was the kind of, you know, that, that's a pretty basic tangle in there. You know, I'm not liking you right now and you're, you're bad because you're making me feel bad. So then I went into that and just breathed with the feelings of bad personhood, which has a sense of shame and a kind of a clutch in the chest. And while I was breathing with it, I let, you know, the sounds wash through and the other sensations. And I, I kind of called on loving presence just to the loving presence in the universe, just to help me let this just be there, not trying to make it go away. And in the moment that I agreed not to try to make it go away, not to try to tell myself why I was okay or this person, just to let it be there, that opened up space and a kind of remembering of the beingness. This is what I want to emphasize, is that when we take refuge in the Dharma, in other words, we're willing to stay with what is, completely what is, right here, it's this portal back to beingness. When there's no resisting, just awake, open, okay, what's here? We rediscover that quality of presence that's what we are, so there's room for the humanness. We can be a being that's living in this human form. So there was a shift in identity. I took refuge in Dharma, in the truth of what was happening. There was a shift from a defended self, an aggrieved self, an angry self, then an ashamed self, to this presence that was just letting those currents move through. And of course that allowed me to then resume the dialogue in a way that I could honor my vulnerability and this person's vulnerability and we could find our, our, the love that's so much there. So the gift of taking refuge in the Dharma is that we have lifelong patterns that we keep replaying, that keep us separate from others and at war with ourselves. And it's only when we're willing to pause and open to the waves that are really here that we can wake up out of those patterns. Refuge in the Dharma frees us from this trance that we keep playing out over and over again in our lives. So I'd like to, we'll just do a brief reflection where give you a chance to practice taking refuge in the Dharma. And again, Dharma meaning in the experience in the present moment. And as you're setting yourself up to go inside, it might mean a little shift in your posture, whatever, just to say that um, sometimes in these guided reflections there's nothing particular going on in your life that you want to, you know, kind of reflect on. And that's fine. Just, Just be here and experience what's right here. So in this one we pause as we do so often. Just let yourself belong to this changing flow of moments, this breathing. And these sounds. And just relaxing with whatever's going on in your body. 
And you might sense if there's anything going on in your life where you'd like to remember to take refuge in the Dharma more. Any place where you go into a trance, you're, you're reactive, where you turn on yourself or you turn on another person. And if there is, just pick a particular situation so you can practice with it a little. might be a situation where you're in conflict with another person and you just... or where there's just some tension or distance where you get in some way defended or aggressive. Or might be a way that you're turned on yourself for some behavior and you just get judgmental and tight. or a situation that, you, that is intimidating that you know you have to show up for. And just feel the sincerity of your intention to, to take refuge in presence in the midst of this, because that's what it means to take refuge in the Dharma. It's like asking, can I be more present? Can I touch presence? Can I call on presence in the midst of this? to start untangling the pattern, to be more free, to feel your wish. And then letting the situation be very close in. So you're right at whatever situation where you feel something bad's happening, something's wrong. Just as for me, being in that conflict made me feel, oh, something's wrong with me, I'm bad. Just taking refuge in presence, just let yourself feel without any resisting or controlling what it's actually like, what's going on in your body and your heart. Letting go of any story of another being wrong or you being wrong, just feel it in your body. And trust yourself to the waves of whatever experience is right here. And if there's numbness or restlessness or sleepiness, that's equally okay. So whatever it is, just to notice it and say yes is taking refuge in the Dharma. Yes to the fear, yes to the sadness, yes to the anger, yes to the hurt. Yes to the numbness or the sleepiness. What happens if you really just notice what's happening and say yes? Can you begin to sense the presence that's here when there's no resisting, when there's just noticing and allowing?
This poem's called Awakening Now. Why wait for your awakening? The moment your eyes are open, seize the day. Would you hold back when the beloved beckons? Would you deliver your litany of sins like a child's collection of seashells prized and labeled? No, I can't step across the threshold, you say, eyes downcast. I'm not worthy, I'm afraid, and my motives aren't pure. I'm not perfect, and surely I haven't practiced nearly enough. My meditation isn't deep, and my prayers are still sometimes insincere. Do you value your reasons for staying small more than the light shining through the open door? Forgive yourself. Forgive yourself. Now is the only time you have to be whole. Now is the sole moment that exists to live in the radiance of your true nature. Perfection is not a prerequisite for anything but pain. Please, oh please, don't continue to believe in your stories of separation and failure. This is the day of your awakening. So just sensing the intention to more and more take refuge in truth, in the Dharma, in the life that's right here. So that's the first gateway, and that's the primary gateway we practice with our meditations here. The second one, um, which I won't take so long to speak of, and we're going to be exploring a little bit more in the weeks to come, is refuge in Sangha, which is classically in, in the Buddhist teachings, it's refuge in the community of monks and nuns. And in a contemporary way, in a more immediate way, it's the way you take refuge in your circle of friends and loved ones and those that are consciously waking up with you on the path. doesn't mean Buddhist dharma, sangha. It means sangha, those who are waking up together. And then um, in the broadest way, really, the sangha is this whole web of living beings, you know, just taking refuge in the life that we belong to. So we just had a, a New Year's retreat, there were about a hundred of us, and there was a visceral sense of sangha that developed, and it was interesting because it was on silence. There was just a little bit of this mindful talking with some question-answer and some small groups where people could say, well, here's what's really hard. Or at the end, here's what really touched me. And it's amazing how when people get quiet and then share from really a sincere place both their vulnerability, you know, what's really hard, or what's alive and beautiful, the quality of connection is very, very deep. Refuge in the Sangha. And so we have, that, we have that in different ways in our lives. There's really a growing community here in Washington, those that are, are really loving the practices of waking up and loving being with each other and sharing about that. And we can see it in the Kalyanamitta groups, that's spiritual friends groups. Um, got 20-some of them in the area and there's more growing. And by the way, there's uh, Molly who's here tonight with us is at the table out there if you're interested in learning more about them. It's a beautiful way to deepen this refuge in Sangha. We have sanghas um, amongst the, the affinity group sanghas 
powerful way for people that really have this this commitment to waking up together and honoring where they are in each person's way of growing powerful, powerful sanghas. We have um, sanghas of people that are volunteering together to serve the larger community and again I've had many people come to me and say it wasn't until they got on one of the board committees or started helping at Wednesday night or in some way serving the retreats that they really felt come alive this, um, this shared sense of community. So to say that waking up in sangha is not necessarily easy, in fact I just think that if it's real sangha it's hard because then we get real with who we are and what we are and get real with the conflicts but conflicts aren't bad that actually I find the people that I'm close to the more we have the space for what's difficult the deeper the sense of who we really are is such as the story I gave you earlier with um, a dear person over the holidays So taking refuge in Sangha isn't only taking refuge in really nice feelings, it's taking refuge in the realness of our human contact. We can take refuge externally with others in community and we can also do it in our meditation. There's um, one woman a few years ago that had suffered a lot of post-traumatic stress and her way when she would meditate she would start by being present with whatever was there but if if it got stirred up if she went into one of those senses of terrified and it's just too much to handle she would in her mind take refuge in Sangha and what she did was she called on a few people that were like her circle of, of kind of spiritual allies and that included me and it included a couple of her female friends and her husband it was like this this protective field and she'd feel this is, I belong to these beings they're surrounding me and, and that would give space for her to, to work with what was so difficult to find some room for it she told me that when she was in that field it was the only time she felt actually safe and that the little girl that had been abused or traumatized actually felt, uh, felt held and she felt that she was part of what was holding that, that younger self. So taking refuge in the Sangha is really taking refuge in the love that enlarges us. It's realizing the truth of non-separation. And I love the understanding that if you trust, you're the ocean. You're not afraid of the waves. So any moment that you feel, and I'm going to have you reflect on this, a true sense of belonging to Sangha with your partner, with your friend, with a group of uh, Kalyana Mitta, whatever it is, in the moments of true sense of connection and belonging, that oceanness, that sense of here we are, has room for whatever's arising. So again, let's let's uh, reflect. as um, you did with taking refuge in the Dharma let this be a pause where you arrive right here listening and feeling and being and sense your sincerity which could be a longing or a wisdom that knows 
the preciousness of feeling connection. And there, it might be complex. It might be that in that, marbled in that, that longing and that wisdom is a real sense of sorrow or deprivation and just include that. Maybe you don't feel that there is any sangha for you. So part of this is this honest recognition of I long for it, it's not there. And yet, as we begin to um, sense into the true meaning of sangha, each one of us can find somewhere with a tree or a pet, with somebody who's no longer alive, with a child, a grandparent, or a sense of other beings that are like us. If we're honest and open, we can find some expression of sangha in our lives. So this is the invitation right now. To send someone you love, or some being you love, and feel a sense of belonging with, And take some moments to sense what you love about that being, their goodness, their humor, their capacity to love, their love of feeling love. Just sense the quality of togetherness, of being that's bigger than either of you, that's that kind of field that you touch of what you are together in a visceral way. There's some mutual recognition, something that matters between you. Just feel that as it registers in the heart. What's it like to feel belonging with another being, person, pet, tree? Just begin to bring others into that field, others that in some way, even if they're complex, even if there's other issues, in some way behind the veil of the personalities, there's that sense of belonging that here we are together. Take some time to just honor your sangha, family, with all that dysfunctionality that we all have still. Friends, those we work with, those we meditate with, serve with, those we take care of and those that take care of us. Just honoring 
that field of loving that teaches us who we are, that is our refuge. Rumi says, if ten lamps are present in one place, each differs in form from another, yet you can't distinguish whose radiance is whose when you focus on the light. In the field of spirit there is no division, no individuals exist. Sweet is the oneness of the friend with his friends. Catch hold of the spirit. Help this headstrong self dissolve that beneath it you may discover unity like a buried treasure. So the second refuge is a refuge in unity and love. Okay. That's two out of three, and you might be wondering, now how are we going to wrap this up? <laughs> I'm the one that's wondering that. So <laughs> um, I'm actually going to, again, speak briefly on the refuge in Buddha, and then we're going to be doing a, a ritual together with your red cord that I'm hoping everyone has, and that'll be just in a few minutes. But just to say, as I mentioned before, that when we take refuge in the Buddha, it can be initially in... Um, some expression of a being that, that channels Buddha nature, somebody you know that's here in physical form on the planet or somebody that has been on the planet or a deity like a Buddha or Bodhisattva that in some way embodies and expresses love, wisdom, awareness. That can be one level of taking refuge. And what it does is it connects you with that energy. It actually connects you with how that lives in you. The second way is really directly reflecting on our own uh, Buddha nature, um, seeing past the story of self that we live in so much. Some of you might remember how Wei Wu Wai put it. He said, 98% of what you do is for yourself. And there isn't one. So what happens is that when we take refuge in Buddha nature, we start letting go of that whole idea of kind of a self-centered self and really sense that beingness that's living through this form, this human form. There's this presence that's here that we start taking refuge in. So as I mentioned, on the the day long, our, our primary exploration, well, how do you take refuge in that awareness? How do you really realize it? And for right this moment, I'm going to name three pathways to that. And one I've already described is that you can call on a figure that expresses it. So you can call on the Buddha. Dalai Lama said to one man who asked him how to work with this great fear I'm having, he said, just imagine yourself held in the heart of the Buddha. So there's taking refuge in that way. The second way is taking refuge in the Dharma. If you keep paying attention in a moment-to-moment way to what's arising, in that undefended, non-resisting presence, you will discover that light and awareness that really is your Buddha nature. The third way, and this is the Buddha under the Bodhi tree, he looked into his own mind. In other words, rather than paying attention to thoughts or paying attention to sensations or light or sound or anything, we actually pay attention to the very awareness that's aware. And there's nowhere to land on that one. You can't find it in space. You can't nail it down. But you can inhabit that mysterious vastness. 
So we'll take a few moments to reflect on what it means to take refuge in Buddha nature and then I'm going to ask you to, um, to do this ritual. We'll begin right now in a simple way with the pausing and just to listen. Come into stillness and listen. A very relaxed listening, really receptive. So you might be listening to the sounds in the room or the more distant sounds. If you let your whole body relax and really open that listening in a receptive way, you might sense the sound of silence, that kind of scintillating background hum that you can sense. It's not just heard in the ears, the awareness that hears it is everywhere. So listening to and feeling this whole moment. And then with a gentle inquiry, what is aware of all of this? What's listening? Not trying to answer that conceptually, but just to feel the presence that's here. Can you sense how awareness itself has no center, no boundary, just vast openness? Just awake openness. Usually when we're conscious of things, we're usually conscious of the sound or the thought or the emotion, but there's an undercurrent of awareness itself, and you can be conscious of this consciousness. If you can sense an alert inner stillness in the background while things happen in the foreground, that's it. If you can sense an alert inner stillness in the background while the sounds and sensations are happening, That's it. Can you feel your own presence? To take refuge in Buddha nature is to inhabit, to realize and inhabit this beingness. You've had a little time to reflect on and and meditate on each of the refuges. And so now this is a chance in Sangha, which makes it more powerful, to um, do a traditional ceremony which only takes a couple of minutes, but which I think you'll find um, 
really can be very sweet and beautiful. And in the Buddhist Asian Hindu countries, this thread that you have, and, and raise your hand if you don't have the thread because uh, there's, um, Rose, Rose will come around or somebody will come around and if you keep your hand up, as I'm explaining this, you'll get your thread. Um, this is a symbol of blessing. And it's, it kind of opens you to grace. And it's um, symbolically taken from the robe of a monk. So what it means is that when you go out into the marketplace, when you wear this, and you'll have it either around your wrist or your neck, should you choose to wear it, um, it's kind of like you're, you're bringing that spirituality into the marketplace, into work, into life. One friend puts it, it's like in the marketplace you're a monk or a nun in drag. <laughs> but you remember your true home. In other words, much as um, I mentioned my mala with the skulls, this um, symbol of blessing can be a reminder to um, take refuge in presence and in love and in truth. So um, one thing I like to mention with the ceremony is Chogyam Trungpa, one um, Tibetan teacher, was asked, well, what exactly... Because they're considered to be protection cords. And so he's asked, well, what exactly are we protecting ourselves from? And he said, "Uh, well, yourself, of course. (laughs) Um, And what that means is not self as in your depth, but really all those patterns of false refuge. Just to wake up from false refuge. It's an opportunity to really live the life fully, not to wait. So what we'll do is we'll be tying some knots in this cord and then with the help of a partner we will then tie the cord around either your neck or your wrist and then we'll chant the refuges together. So maybe I'll ask you to stand up for this part and just to stand up and holding your cord and the way to hold the cord is um, hold one end with one hand and one hand with the other and I'm going to have you reflect on each refuge and then, what, and then as you're reflecting to tie a knot in, the, in, in this string so that you can feel that you've kind of invested the, the spirit of the refuge into this cord. So we'll be meditating together on the first refuge and we'll start in the traditional way of I take refuge in the Buddha. So we just did that a little in our meditation. So just take a moment of silence, the sense with your sincerity, your intention to take refuge in beingness, in awareness, in presence itself, in the light of spirit, in the awakened heart. To take refuge in Buddha is to take refuge in your own awakened awareness. And as you feel that sincerity, of longing and intention to take refuge in your own highest nature, please tie the first knot into your cord. Okay. The second refuge I take refuge in the Dharma. And again, to feel with sincerity your own intention to take refuge in being present, 
being honest and open to the life that's right here. To really opening to the truth of things as they are. And that includes openness to any teaching that feels filled with truth that can guide you home. To take refuge in the dharmas, to take refuge in a path of truth and in the moment-to-moment living truth. So as you feel that dedication, that willingness, take refuge in this presence, in this path, in this truth, please put the second knot in, tie the second knot. Okay, now the final one is refuge in Sangha. And again, in the same way, just to feel your own wisdom and heart, your own commitment to waking up this heart in relationship with others, to really turning towards the field of relationship and discovering non-separation, to living from that compassion and forgiveness and love that really is our capacity. So reflecting on I take refuge in the Sangha and when you feel ready to tie the final knot into your cord. And then when you've done that, for those of you that would like to, for most people it's usually around the neck, just to place the cord around your neck so that the two, the two ends are hanging out over your chest. Otherwise you can have it wrap it around your wrist. And then please uh, turn to one person. And what you'll be doing is taking turns, just finishing this up by tying a final knot that actually encloses the circle. Um, so you need, a, you need a partner to help you. So take turns with that. On silence if you can. And if for some reason everybody around you is in twos and you're not, then just stand next to a pair and then have somebody in that pair then tie your knot for you. It's ideal to have someone else tie, tie the knot, even though it's possible to do it ourselves, because it is part of the ritual of Sangha. So do let someone else tie your knot. And when you're done, in some way, to bow or honor or thank your partner. And then we'll come sitting down and we'll just chant the refuges together. And if you have the sheet, take out your sheet. If you don't, just chant along. And if you don't get the words right, that's fine. All that matters is just sing what you want. (laughs) Namo tasa. Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namotasa Bhagavato 
Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Buddham Saranam Gachami Dhamang Saranam Gachami Sangam Saranam Gachami Dutyampi Buddham Saranam Gachami Dutyampi Dhamang Saranam Gachami Dutyampi Sangam Saranam Gachami Ratyampi Buddham Saranam Gachami Satyampi Dhamang Saranam Gachami Satyampi Sangam Saranam Gachami Peace is this moment without judgment. That is all. Peace is this moment in the heart space where everything that is is welcome. May all beings recognize this shared heart space, this holiness, this holiness that is the source of being. May we live from it. May all beings live from it. May there be peace on earth. May all beings awaken and be free. Namaste and blessings on this new year. The teaching you have received has been freely offered. If you would like to contact the Insight Meditation Community of Washington to make a donation or to learn more about our programs, please visit our website at www.imcw.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org dot org slash donate.